What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Founders Journal. I'm Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. Before we hop into the episode, I wanna give you a peek behind the curtain for a second. Since day one of this podcast, my goal has been to document the entrepreneurial journey in order to increase your odds of success while building your business. That goal has not changed, and as I've said countless times, I look to you, my listener, for feedback and ideas to help inform the content of the show moving forward. Well, in recent weeks, there's been a very consistent theme in the emails that have been shared with me. Whether it was a note about my episode breaking down the Lex Friedman conversation with Jeff Bezos, or my most recent episode summarizing and analyzing two great startup essays about spending your money wisely while running your business, this idea of curation and analysis continues to be surfaced by you all. You all feel like there's a ton of business content on the internet, tons of podcasts, tons of people to follow on social media, tons of books, tons of newsletters, tons of blog posts, but you don't have the time to search every corner of the internet to find the best, most important content for entrepreneurs, which is what I'm now making my job. For the next little while, I'm going to act as your startup Sherpa, curating the best content for entrepreneurs in the world, summarizing it so you don't have to read it yourself, and analyzing it so you have actionable takeaways to apply to your business. And today's episode is a great way to kick it off because I actually have the author of one of the great pieces of startup content on the internet joining to talk through his powerful essay with me. Sahil Lavingia is the founder and CEO of Gumroad, an e-commerce platform for creators. Gumroad does nearly $20 million a year in revenue, it is highly profitable, and it has no full-time employees. On this episode, we talk about Sahil's 2019 essay titled, Reflecting on My Failure to Build a Billion Dollar Company. Sahil talks about leaving Pinterest as its second employee in 2011 to build what he calls his life's work, a company called Gumroad that would be worth billions of dollars, IPO one day, and employ hundreds of people. But that is not what happened. In 2015, Sahil laid off 75% of Gumroad staff to keep the company alive. Of course, firing some of his best friends was absolutely heart-wrenching. But possibly just as difficult for Sahil was the death of his dream to build a venture-backed unicorn. The heart of this article, and much of what you'll hear Sahil talk about during our conversation, is the emotional journey post-layoffs and the decision to build a profitable, quote-unquote, boring lifestyle business. With that, let's hop into the episode. Entrepreneurs know that after end of year starts yet another crucial season, beginning of year. Don't waste time by manually sending out invoices and following up on overdue payments. And definitely don't throw away your hard-earned profit on transaction fees. Avoid expensive payment processors and start off 2024 strong with a little help from Finley. Finley is a digital back office platform that helps businesses manage all of the time-consuming operations that come with, well, running a business. No need to hire a team of employees to send out invoices and quotes, follow up on payments, and track inventory. Automate your business with Finley. The best part? Finley doesn't break the bank. The annual plan is $397 per year, so you can set it and forget it. And if you don't love it, no problem. If Finley doesn't help you run your business better within the first 30 days, you'll get a full refund. 
Get started at finley.com slash founders journal. That's F-I-N-L-I.com slash founders journal. Sahil, thank you for joining Founders Journal. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Okay, so we're going to dive into a really good article that, a blog post article that you wrote in 2019 about kind of your reflections on Gumroad um, at a point in time where kind of the trajectory changed relative to what you thought it was initially going to be. Before we hop into it, I just want to set the foundation for listeners. Can you share what Gumroad is um, and how big it is today? Yeah. So Gumroad, we help people sell digital products and memberships. Uh, we started in 2011. I wanted to sell something to my Twitter audience, an icon, and basically just solved my own problem, built it over a weekend, launched Monday morning, and has kind of grown uh, since then. Now we do about $160 million a year in annualized GMV. So that's sort of like the marketplace volume of that. We take 10% ends up being our revenue, and that's how we make money. Um, and about half of that ends up being our margin. Um, so you do the math, we make about $8 million a year in like net income. Uh, and yeah, that's Gumroad. Sweet. Okay. I want to start with the, the OG tweet when you were starting the business, April 2nd, 2011, you write, just had an idea for my first billion dollar company tomorrow. I start building it. Uh, when you wrote this, you thought Gumroad would become a billion dollar company with hundreds of employees. You thought about the prospect of IPOing at some point down the road. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, can you share with me why that didn't happen and when you realized that wasn't going to be the path that you ultimately would take the business on? Yeah. I mean, I think the first time I realized that was not going to happen, which is, you know, I joke, the, the blog post is called Reflecting on My Failure to Build a Billion Dollar Company. It's a little bit like tongue in cheek because it's sort of like not, you know, it's a weird failure to have, right? Um, it's like failing to go to the moon or something like that. Um, but it, it sort of just hints at like the, the, you know, the culture of Silicon Valley um, in which I was living in at the time where you basically everybody inherently just signs up for this sort of journey where you're trying to build this billion dollar company that we call a unicorn. And, you know, the way you do that is by basically having some idea for this like really large market, having some software product that you build, you hire, you know, you raise some venture capital, you hire some engineers, you use AWS, you ship some app. And then there's sort of actually like quite a little bit of fuzziness and what happens like between now and like the billion dollar company <laughs> part. But in theory, you know, you you basically acquire customers if you're a B2B product and you just kind of like grow double or nothing, you know, every three months to two year, or, you know, you have a consumer product in which you basically get to like hundreds of millions of users, then you sell ads, uh, you know. And I had some experience doing this. I was working at Pinterest at the time. I was employee number two. I built Pinterest for iPhone. I saw it grow pretty significantly. So I, I knew kind of like I had some, uh, I don't know, evidence that like, it was, know, possible. was possible. It was possible. Yeah. It wasn't completely outlandish, right? This is, a, you know, the possibility is what drives a lot of the, uh, the frothiness, right? It is possible. Um, and so, yeah, I sort of like raised a bunch of money. I think I was like 19. I raised $7 million from Kleiner Perkins letter series A. And so I was just kind of in the, I was like mimetically like trying to hit all the, all the check boxes. Right. Uh, uh, fake it till you make it sort of thing, uh, you know, built a product, hired a team and things honestly, like not terrible, right? Like things actually went, went nicely. Like it, I sort of had enough evidence to keep going and uh, sort of VCs to keep egging me on and like the, to keep hiring a team, like you need traction to do a lot of these things. 
Uh, and so we were growing, I think maybe in like 2014 or something, we were doing like maybe a million or so in ARR. We were growing like 80% or something like that. Uh, and so, you know, like we built a business, but we also had like 20 people in San Francisco. Our office was like $25,000 a month. Like our net income was not positive. Yeah. Right? We were burning probably four to $500,000 a month at peak. And I went to VCs to raise our Series B. This is fine because as long as you continue to raise money, like you're raising such a massive amount of money that it sort of like ends up being a, a, a tiny little dent. Uh, anyway, I, in December, I think of 2014, I started pinging my VC friends saying, hey, we're looking to raise our Series B. We'd raised so much money in 2012 that it had been like three years. And that was when I learned like, oh, like growing 60, 80% a year you know, Series B is not like that was not good enough, it which is hilarious because, like, in general, in the context of just business overall, it seems like great growth. <laughs> yeah, if you Google right, like, I think like the the IRS or like you know like the how, the U.S. government, yeah. like they label hyper growth or something, is like growing more than twenty percent. Uh, I think year over year, yeah. it's like a hyper growth business. I mean, that's like insane amounts of growth. Uh, during COVID, we grew 94%, right? Like COVID was crazy for many, many, many businesses in, in that metric. But yeah, we were growing 60, 80%. VCs in 2015 said, hey, you know, we're going to invest in Patreon instead, basically, right? Like that, that didn't really happen for us. Uh, and so we downsized the company. We went from basically 20 people to one, uh, from th really three skeleton crew. They helped me kind of get the product stable and and then me, and then I just ran the business myself. And But really the, the, the moment where I was like, oh, this is not going to be a billion dollar company, I'm no longer playing this game, was when I left San Francisco, I think. When was because that? I think I'm, and that was January of 2017. So I started the company in April of 2011, January 2017, uh, five and a half years, basically, I left San Francisco, moved to Utah to take the science fiction fantasy writing class with Brandon Sanderson, very random. But basically, I just wanted to leave San Francisco. And that was really the moment where, you, you know, when you do that, you're kind of signaling like, you're no longer playing. You're no longer in the Hunger Games, right? Like you've, you've, you're like exiting the arena, <laughs> uh, in a way, and like, uh, and that was tough. I mean, that was yeah. Like, what was that like emotionally for you? Yeah, I mean, I had built like my whole social media following, my whole identity. Like basically, I hadn't hung out with my. I mean, you know, every once in a while you hang out with your friends and family <laughs> and stuff. I, I like, I grew up in Singapore. Yeah, and like. You know, like moved to San Francisco, dropped out of college, like my, you know, moved, you know, I basically like it was very much like the thing that I, I was doing right in everybody's mind. And I was like, OK, it's kind of like you got to recalibrate uh, and that's going to hurt. Um, and also people are talking and like you don't want to necessarily say anything, but you kind of don't know if they know. I remember someone years later telling me they like we had a meeting in the office like the next week and it was empty and they're like, what's going on? And I was kind of sad or, you know, like all this stuff that like, who knows what I was going through in the, in the moment. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't fun. You know, it was just like, okay, like that wasn't, you know, uh, but I still run the business, right? Like I, the thing that I, you know, the, the, the sort of solace was that I still ran a great business. Like at the end of the day, it wasn't dead. It was just like, I no longer had any team members, right? Like I just had to run it myself. We were doing, I don't know, like twenty or thirty thousand dollars in profit or something. So a month. So once it stabilized, I was able to like hire a few freelancers. Uh, but that was like, yeah. The the difficulty was also there was this. I think a lot of probably people go through this where like every, you know you 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 have a lot of high expectations for yourself generally. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when you're like, oh, we're gonna make it in two hours. You know this road trip, and like then you like it takes th like eight hours somehow, and you're like, how the frick did this happen? Yeah. And you're like, oh, there was like a marathon 
that I didn't think about. You know, like all of these things that completely changed. Like the the, and I think a lot of people when you're young, you just think, oh, I'm gonna like nail it. You know, I'm gonna do this and then do this and do this and then like I'm gonna you know get the really really far. Uh, I remember like setting a goal to learn like five languages when I was you know like stuff like that. Yeah. And then you realize like life gets in the way. There are other priorities. Um, so anyway, I, I think I think that was like very difficult. Uh, is just realizing oh like success is not not gonna happen. It just might take like 15 years or 30 years. And if you look at history, that's true, right? Like that's like that. It, it does take time, uh, but you know, compounding interest, blah, 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 all that fun stuff. But you know, you, you really want to be the exception. There are a couple of examples of these exceptions that you see out there. And so I do think it sort of, it hits, you know, hits you right in the ego, but at the end of the day, I think that's great, you know, because I think you have, I mean, you, I think everyone kind of has to go totally. through these moments, right? Um, Out of curiosity, and, was the uh, the writing course that you took in Utah was that part of kind of this journey to refine identity outside of building your business, or did you just want to start writing? I mean, I I felt like I knew like, and it's funny like unpacking it, you know, because the sci-fi is really what led me to startups in the first place. Because if you really, I feel like unpack it's almost like this kind of religion where you read these books and you believe them, mm -hmm. right? You're like, oh, wow, like in the future, not today, but like in the future, we're going to have like humans on tons of planets and like spaceships and like all sorts of cool stuff. But this is like a part of the timeline. It's not like a fantasy. It's a sci-fi, right? Uh, it's just, it, it felt more real. Uh, and that le leads you to like startups and venture capital and like all these things like, you know, AI now have playing out, right? Like it all is part of, part of that. And so I felt like, okay, if I'm not going to be the one that makes Tesla or SpaceX or whatever, maybe I can like contribute to it in some capacity. And I love reading these books. Um, and so, you know, I think trying to write, write one would be, would be great. Um, but yeah, I think on the other hand, it was just like a thing to do, right? Like a thing to just, I have a hard time, at least some people are maybe very good at just like relaxing or yeah, just being and just like take, you know, chilling out or whatever. And I'm like, I need to like do something else. Like I need to solve some other problem, uh, get into something that is going to take my brain so that I can't think about the other thing for a while. Like it's just physically impossible to juggle that many things. Uh, and sci-fi, like writing, I mean, I have so so much admiration for writing, uh, especially fiction, honestly. I mean, I, I publish a nonfiction, but like I don't have a lot of published fiction because it's really it's freaking hard. Uh, to come up, you're like building a whole universe and the like depth of understanding you need to have on characters and physics and economies and food and like supply chains and all sorts of stuff to create a good, like a realist, semi-realistic world. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's very hard. Um, but it's not realistic, right? At the end of the day, what I realized is this made up, like in these stories, there's like robots that talk like humans, but like he didn't have a reason for that, right? He didn't have a scientific sort of reason for why we would end up there. He just had faith. He just like, you seem like humans are pretty freaking smart. Like physics, you know, we did learn new things all the time. So like one day we'll have robots that will be, you know, do stuff for us, right? Which is really just like humanoid. Like we just basically just slaves. Yep. Like we just, we look at humans, slaves, and we say, oh, it'd be much better <laughs> if they weren't humans, basically, right? Uh, and that's where the idea of robots come from. Uh, and that's true. I mean, we, we, I think we will get them, right? So there's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Um, but I do think it's healthy also to have some sort of understanding of uh, some distance to, to that mythology as well, 
right? Partly, like, I think the, the most useful thing is like your customer doesn't care. Like, you operate in this bubble, but like, at the end of the day, if you're providing a product or service, you know, that's what you do. You're, you know, and I think it's good to be, you know, we were talking earlier, like, Gumroad is just a stripe wrapper, right? Like, at the end of the day, you have to, it, I think that experience really helped me realize, like, what have I built? In the real, like, what am I? What am I actually responsible for? What is my value to the world? Um, it's not a billion dollar company. What is you like? What is a billion dollar company? Right? Like, it means like the last share you sold for like eleven dollars, and, and you have like a hundred million of right. those shares out there. And then so, we have all these stories associated with what that thing is. Yeah, and you can like maybe if you're lucky get a loan on it or yeah. something, right? But at the end of the day, you know, not a lot of money is really changing hands, and then. The worry, honestly, I feel is that people just get unhappy, right? Because they're basically, they're fr- fr- they're comparing themselves to things that don't even exist. It's like that person doesn't, like that's not even real. Like that person doesn't have a billion dollars. You know, they have like a nice house, yep. maybe, you know, uh, that's worth $40 million or something like that. But really they put 4 million and they have a huge mortgage, you know? And so out of curiosity, when you were, kind of let's just say in like chapter one of Gumroad building for, you know, again, this like billion dollar valuation, this hypothetical IPO down the road. Do you, do you think like a lot of this was just kind of driven by your own story of of how you attributed self-worth to yourself and kind of those endpoints you just associated with importance, i.e. self-worth for Sahil? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think everyone has a level of insecurity in terms of like, I remember as a kid, like learning about, like, just being a professional, you know, like the difference between someone who plays tennis and like a professional tennis player, and being like, holy shit, you can be so good. (laughs) That at some point, you just make start making money, like people just start paying you for that. And that became my goal. Like I started freelancing doing web design when I was like 13 years old. Because I was scared. I was like, what the hell? Like, I have to be good enough that, like, people will just, like, pay me money to, like, make pixels. Like, that seems weird, you know? Uh, But it was possible. It worked. Uh, So I do think a lot of people have that. And I I honestly do think, like, even the billion-dollar outcomes are often driven by just, like, this desire to be, like, can I do it? Like, is it actually possible? Um, You know? And I think it's good. Like, it's good for society that we have this these impulses. Yeah, it's like good for society, not necessarily good for the person. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I mean, I think of it like being a mayor, right? Like it's not good for the person. Uh, It just, it's like intellectually, it's like emotionally destroying. Like it's, you know, you get attacked all the time. No one really likes you. You don't get paid super well. You're on call all the time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But I do think like society's better, right? For that person doing their thing. And I, but like, I, I think the the nuance is that like I think I was so obsessed with net worth being a very good scale of value yep. and saying you know this is how much value you've created, but in reality it's not. It's how much value you've captured for yourself, and you of that you keep some amount, and you can do buy your house, and you can just do whatever the hell you want with that money. Uh, but it's not how much value you've created for the world, right? And there's like tons of open source stuff that like has, you know, the people who made it are like not good at capturing any of the value in theory. I was reading about like, you know, one of the smartest people on earth, this guy Terrence Tao is like a mathematician. He's like lots of mathematicians consider him the smartest mathematician on earth. Uh, like just insanely smart. 
Um, and, you know, he makes like something like $600,000, $700,000 a year working at UCLA, right? So, like, totally. there's not a prize, like, they're not equivalent. And, uh, and I, I also think, yeah, like, a lot of people, like, I just think at the end of the day, you're going to see content and media from people who have a lot of money and who want a lot of money because they're creating that content and driving that in order to get more money so they can get certain things. So, at the end of the day, you have to understand that, like, you know, it's like when you, when you go to a, like a concert, people like you're watching someone who really wants to loves music much more than you love music. Right. Um, Taylor Swift is what, like plays piano and guitar, like when she's bored, like I don't do that. Right. Uh, and so just understanding, like there's sort of a, like different proclivities to it. And if you really enjoy business, you want to keep playing the game. You can, you can do that. But there's also, there's like different of course. forms of engaging with a skill or a hobby. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I still have a hard time with it, to be honest. Like, I have a tendency to think, for example, like, I want to become a novelist. It's like, just freaking write for fun, right. dude. Just write, like, just write, you know? Uh, and it's like, no, I got to, like, publish a book and, like, you know, make a movie out of it. And, like, da, da, da. like and it's like, yeah. why? Why do I need to do that? Yeah, totally. I Yeah, I don't know. There's this part of me that definitely feels like um, uh, we associate value to, like, ambition and growth and, like, you know, it's parroted in society all the time like you know you should never feel comfortable it's like what's wrong with feeling comfortable from time to time i like i i think to your point it's like um something feels wrong when you're just like in kind of just like this linear progression and then the the interesting question to ask is like why 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 is something wrong with that uh one mm -hmm. one one thing i'm wondering is like okay we talked a little bit about a, a like kind of what Gumroad um, meant to your identity and like the value you ascribe to yourself as a function of what Gumroad could become in chapter one, let's say chapter two, which is like Gumroad as lifestyle business. And it's funny, like I was even reading through, you had shared like what the June 2015 and June 2016 numbers looked like in the business. And I think anyone, if like they hadn't read any other part of your blog post and just read those numbers and you ask them like, what's a better business? Like, it's kind of obvious for, for the listener. It was June, 2015. This is a few months before Gumroad layoffs. Revenue was $89,000 a month. Uh, net profit was 351,000, negative $351,000. They're burning $351,000. Obviously this was at the point in the business where still venture back, still basically trying to grow as fast as possible to raise Series B. The The next snapshot is June 2016. Revenue is uh, $176,000 for the month, net profit of $10,000. And this is, you know, post layoffs. What does the business today, like what is the story you have around the business today? Meaning, what does it mean to your identity? Like what kind of, what's the, what sort of attachment do you have to your business? Yeah. I mean, I think of... I think of Gumroad like a dragon now. I feel like it's its own living thing with its own agency. And it pays taxes on its own too as a C-Corp, you know? It's truly considered like a person in law. Uh, and so I, I find, I, I don't know, I, I think of myself like really honored that I get to work on it and make it better. Uh, but at the end of the day, it has its own basically desires and its desires are to fulfill this need for its... 10 or 12,000 creators, right? And do that better and better. Um, and I try to sort of like be its muse or like, you know, yeah. what, whatever. I, I try not to get too obsessed about like, oh, I need Gumroad to solve this problem for me. 
Uh, it's like, no, like if I, as a company, it can, because it has cash flow. So I can sort of point it at certain things and say, Hey, we can take, you know, a million bucks in cash flow and like experiment with building a new product called Flexile and do dividends here. And like, we can, we can, we can sort of play around with it, but only so much because at the end of the day, like the core, like I, there are a lot of stakeholders in Gumroad because it's its own. Yeah. It's a little, it's a dragon. It, it, it's like much more powerful than like a single human. So like the public deserves some level of control over it. You know, it's, it's people who've invested in the past totally deserve some level of control or ownership over it. Um, you know, I, I deserve some, but at the end of the day, I feel like it really should be its own free thing. And like, you know, and it's, I don't know, it's a little like woo woo, I guess, right? No, but, it makes sense. I, at least the way that I understand it is like, as the CEO of the business, you're kind of like, if uh, if dragons were like racehorses and they had jockeys, like you're the jockey on the back of the dragon, helping to guide all of like kind of this momentum and uh, energy it has caused by many different things. Yeah. You are also not the dragon. Like, like, you're not the dragon. The dragon isn't you. You are separate things, which I think is, yeah. at least for me, this as obvious as that sounds with this really fun and weird analogy we're using. Like, I think with Morning Brew originally, um, I viewed myself as the dragon and I viewed the dragon as me. And I think it's uh, obviously that can lead to a lot of pain when you realize that you and the, you and the dragon are not going to be kind of together forever. Yeah, exactly right. I think, and I, you know, similar, like a lot of people have to go through this transition. And I think when you can separate yourself from it, you can make better decisions for it. And I think in the beginning, you don't want a lot of separation. There isn't a lot of separation. Yeah. And you, you know, you are kind of making a business, but you're really making this like emotional piece of art and like all of these things. But I think, and that's what the founder archetype and identity but then over time, it becomes like an engineering problem, right? It becomes more like, okay, this is what it is. We have employees that that use it in this way. We have customers that that associate in this way, and we can't just say, hey, we're now going to do this completely different thing. We have obligations, um, and that's yeah, it's super, it's super freeing. I mean, I think one of the nice things about the last sort of cycle of of like social media has all, has been a lot of founders who have like grown up, quote unquote, right? Like you've seen Bezos leave Amazon. Um, you've seen Satya Nadella like absolutely kill it at Microsoft. And so you have examples that maybe we didn't have like 10, 15 years ago of like companies that are like better run, you know, Tim Cook has seemed to be quite successful at Apple. And that was like a big question mark. Right. Uh, right. Like it's possible to sort of like pass the buck. You don't have to, you can still run the company 30 or 40 years later. If you feel like you're the right jockey for the dragon. Right, but right there are also it. other choices. Yeah, there's like 7 billion people out there, right? And like, if you want to keep working, yeah. you should, but also like you might have other priorities in your life. And if you can sort of eat your cake and have it too, or you have like a better CEO, uh, you know, that's, that's awesome as well. Totally. Right? Uh, and I just, yeah, I think that's, yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's super, super important. The, the thing that is healthy to remind myself is like, why am I the CEO? Like why, what can I do and offer that no one else can? And it's basically like my brain somewhere in here has like just everything we've ever built for Gumroad creators and basically the response. So I just know pretty clearly, and I have other stuff too, hopefully, but like, I think the, the sort of biggest thing is just this, like I'm the, the world's best Gumroad PM Yep. because I just have seen all of that data. Um, and if we did a better job and publicize it or like wrote it all down, maybe other, many more people could do that. Yeah. And certainly many people can do that. You ask a Gumroad creator. They're good at telling telling me what I should do better. 
Um, but that's a uni- that's something that I have, right? But it also means like one day I won't have that. I'll be like old, and I will have forgotten like what we shipped in 2013, you know. Uh, and at that point, you know, like maybe there's somebody else, right? Um, so yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. I think it also speaks to just kind of actually the value of intuition. Like I think intuition is oftentimes considered to be this like very artistic thing, but also intuition to me is like your your brain is a computer. You have all this data that. Uh, actually the most data of anyone who's ever been involved in your business and your intuition is just a quick output as a function of whatever your brain does to sort through this data. That's actually a super powerful thing. Uh, One last question before we hop, because I've always just been interested in how the transition that you've made from like just for kind of uh, easy ease of example, moving from venture back business to lifestyle business, how you make that transition in a clean way when you have investors who have different incentives. So how did you deal with your existing investors once you came to the reality of your situation that you weren't able to raise Series B, that wasn't gonna be the path? What was the type of conversation you had with them to get them on board or not on board with kind of the direction you were gonna head? Yeah, so in 2017, when, you know, in 2015, when we failed to raise the money, I just sent everyone an email and said, hey, we failed to raise the money. Good news, we're not gonna die. I going to just let everyone go and run the business myself and keep you in the loop, basically. And so every quarter or whatever, I would email them and say, hey, then, you know, this is how the business is doing. Uh, and then, and, yeah, when I moved to you know, to Provo, as I mentioned, that was like the big thing where I was like, okay, this is really not recoverable in the sense that like next quarter, it wasn't going to like, oh, I was going to hire a team in yeah. an office in San Francisco. It was really going to gonna take a while, right? And so I just sent them an email and said, hey, I'm moving to Provo, like, you know, uh, going to do this class. Let me know if you have any questions, blah, blah, blah. Kept doing that. And then out of the blue, uh, basically, like investors would start reaching out and, and uh, Kleiner at one point, I think we had one conversation before, but basically they were like, hey, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd be interested in selling our stake back to you um, for a dollar. And I was like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> you know, like I think they invested six million in the A and a dollar for that. Great. Uh, but you know they get a tax write-off. They simplify their books. They had some internal transitionary stuff that they were probably working on, um, and so I sort of like went. To, that sort of started that where I was like, oh, I can like, Gumroad had enough of a of a bank balance too. I was like, oh, I can like slowly buy up. Right, buy like out. that's actually a possibility for you. Exactly, and 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 to date, maybe it's like three or four people we bought back. Most people just stayed on the cap table, to be honest, right? Like they didn't really. They're like, sure, you know, we're, you know, we've invested in this business like seven, eight years ago. These venture funds last for like 12, 15 years. So it's not a huge deal. Um, and then uh, when we did dividends most recently, I said, you know, basically like we were profitable. So like we don't really, we're not going to raise more money or at least like we're, we're unlikely to to really go sort of like IPO or bust, um, but we're, we're profitable. We're generating cash, lose about 8 million in cash this year. Uh, We'd love to, you know, we raised it a hundred million dollar valuation. So that's like an 8% rate of return if you dividend up back all of it. Um, you know, it's not bad. Like we're, we're sort of like T-bills, you know, yeah. like a little, you know, we're kind of okay. Uh, and so I just said, hey, can we like try out issuing dividends? Uh, you know, the plan is to do like Warren Buffett style, like 60% of dividends and or net income is dividends and just run the business like a railroad, right? Uh, not too different. And they were like, yeah, you know, basically they're just like, sure. Like, yeah. And then we updated the charter so that basically I could run a dividend at this sort of 60% annual net income rate without their permission. So I can sort of 
just it makes it easy for me to promise it. Like if there's another like a fixed income investor or something comes in and is like, oh, this is what I want, um, you know, they could buy out. In theory, they could buy out some of the cap table and like so the cap table. You know, it's not done. I think a lot of people like I'm I'm still willing to like raise capital and buy out investors. It's just like a cap table is just a cap table, right? Yep. Just a bunch of people who you have some sort of IOUs with. The IOU is most in our case is like a, a dividend return. Like they own percent of the cap table, they get a percent of dividends. Um, but if there's somebody who comes by, is like, oh, I want five percent, like. I'm happy to like find ways to make everybody happy. I think the important thing is I run the business. Yep. I control what we do. I still own 57 or so percent of the company. Um, and so I'm very incentivized to like keep growing the cash flow. I'm also Gumroad's in a position where like if Gumroad grows, like we're you know joking about hypergrowth, like 10% a year for the next 30 years, I'm psyched, right? Totally. Like imagine having I mean, that's like exposure to, the, to, you know, better if I can beat the S&P, but on a business that I own and love working on and control. Yeah. Like it's like the win of all like, wins. Yeah. Like, great. You know, yeah. um, I think honestly, the biggest thing about kind of what's happened is to me, it's just an amazing example of like, there are many options that exist for founders outside of like the few options that we are told are the options, meaning you raise venture money. It's either you return the fund for uh, a venture investor, or if at any point you don't think you're going to return the fund or you're not going to be able to raise the, re the next round, you have to either return your capital and wind down or go bust. Like there are other options and your kind yeah. of your path is just one of probably a hundred different options. If you get really creative and you're really transparent about things that you can go in, even if you raise venture money. hundred percent. I mean, this is the brilliance of capitalism, right? Is at the end of the day, you've created something of value. And there's like a million different ways people will help you totally. package it up and put it in a pool and this and that um, in order to, you know, to sort of maximize leverage or, or, or efficiency or, or whatever. But like the, the, the numbers are there's like maybe four or 5,000 companies on the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ that do like 10 million net income, like profitable, you know, you know, so about 300 billion a year or something like that. Uh, the private private companies, uh, like just IRS tax returns for like C corps that do ten million um, net income, it's like two hundred thousand in the U.S. So there's like a three trillion, it's like ten percent of GDP basically, uh, is moves from one bank account to another and gets taxed at long term capital gains at just like ten percent of GDP, right? When that's basically all of these business owners uh, of you look outside your window, you'll see them, right? Like you'll see a coffee shop, you'll see a laundromat, you'll see a like a private fashion brand, you'll see a road cleaning company, like a construction company, like all these companies are basically family businesses. Almost all of them are family businesses. Uh, they probably haven't raised equity. Uh, they probably have like some LLC, you know, and they just basically issue themselves dividends. They've just grown 10% for 30 years. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's the economy. I mean, that's like a huge amount of the economy, right? Uh, and the thing that I'm now excited about is what I love about startups, what I love about venture capital, what I love about IPOing is that it gets these businesses in the hands of everybody. And I do agree with you. Like, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the crowdfunding word, but I love the word public funding, like public ownership. And like the fact that I can own Facebook, this phenomenal business. One of the top, like best businesses in the world, and I can own it. It's amazing. Totally, right? absolutely amazing. Uh, and so, can I can I build a product? Can I figure out a way to take some of the cool stuff around equity 
and QSBS and all these things and say, hey, can I convince like a coffee shop to run the way that I run Gumroad, right? The way that we run these businesses. And, the, and what I believe is possible is because we're now operating on dividends and cash flow, it's possible. Before it wasn't because it was like a completely different universe. Yep. You talk to someone and they're like, okay, so you're going to like raise some money, basically just burn capital. Yeah. You're going to try to increase your revenue. And these people are valuing it at like a revenue mult. Why? Like, why would you do a, like, they just don't understand. Like, yeah. It's, like, it's like, what if a type of a category of business could exist in between, uh, you know, the third generation family owned, uh, road repair business and the venture back. Yeah unicorn and you see it in like you're starting to see it mimetically and like you know like the memes on twitter around like all these warden grads that are gonna own yep pest control businesses or yep. whatever right but like what's what's what i i still think like what's what would be really cool is if the public could own, if you can totally like and i don't i don't know if i'm nice or something but like i just think like why not like let once you have a great business, you know, like why not let more people own it? And you could start with your customers, you can start with your community, um, you know. But I think like it's just it's been so valuable to me to run Gumroad as an open, public, transparent company. Yep. Like the amount of advice and feedback I get from people is just amazing. And the other thing is not just for the public, but also for your employees, right? You get to give your employees equity, and like. To be honest, I don't really have to work anymore because there are smart people who own equity in Gumroad. Totally. If you have smart people, hardworking people that are incentivized are, in the right way, ethical people who are literally own equity in your business, you can do nothing. <laughs> totally. Because they are completely, perfectly aligned uh, to drive your business forward. And the cool thing is, I had a really hard time last like few years trying to like explain. Because like I don't know like Gumroad's value, right? I was like, okay, we raised a hundred million dollar crowdfunding valuation. Like we're like break even, we're growing like this. We'll probably do a secondary at like a hundred fifty. I don't know, you know. But it's like very ephemeral, right? It's like open AI, eighty five billion zero. 80, you know, it's like showing your startup, right? Like what what is this worth? But if I can say, hey, we're we did in uh, November, we did about eight hundred and sixty something, eight hundred sixty nine thousand dollars in profit net income. So you can calculate right now how much a share in Gumroad would be worth to you, right? Like just do a discounted cash flow analysis and just say, okay, if we do about $869,000 a, a month, and it's like, you know, 9 million a year. And we do, you know, like I own 1% of the business. So it's like nine, right. ninety thousand dollars $900,000, whatever, whatever the math is. And then cool, you know? Uh, and maybe by the way, it might not look as sexy. It might not be a billion dollar company. Right. Uh, but like, I can still buy a house. Totally. Like I can still get a, like I can, I don't need a billion dollars. Like that's the, it's just, that's a lot of, that's like well, the freedom power is a billion dollars. You know, like I don't need that. <laughs> I, I think it, I think it comes back to like that outcome looks really great. If you have a certain story around what the business means to you and what your involvement means uh, in it means to you. Um, and that's why I think actually the the story you have around your association to the thing is the most important thing because it, yeah. it opens up what the possibilities of business look like for you. Yeah. And I think like just to stretch the metaphor one step further, it's like I found Gumroad when it was an egg, right? And so I get a little bit of control that no one else gets yep. because I was like, the first person to like find the egg. And like just like Jack Dorsey can walk into Twitter today and like do things that nobody else can do because he's kind of like the founder. What is it called? It's like the founder 
you didn't invent it. You found it. I yep. think that's like a nice ego destroying sort of thing, right? George Washington like founded America. He didn't like make it. Yep. Uh, he found it or whatever. And uh, yeah, I, I think. And the other thing is like it's it's just kind of luck of the draw, right? Like I really believe that like maybe I don't know. This is my own ego talking, but like. I could run a multi-billion dollar company if I picked a different idea. And if mm-hmm. some one of a multi-billion dollar idea like picked a different one, they could run the gum road. And like if I did something else, I might be like a, a hopefully an amazing musician or a barista or a science fiction writer. I would like to believe that I would still work really hard and make cool stuff for the world or whatever. But a lot of it is kind of random, yep. right? It's just like there aren't 50,000 gum roads. Like it, capitalism is hard because there's so much randomness and it's like a pve game everyone there's only so many dragon eggs out there you know and like it's not really like your fault if you don't find one like i think like at the end of the day and also it it takes a lot of time it might take 10 15 years um and so i don't know i I try to keep reminding myself like when i was a kid i really wanted to make one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year and I really felt like, okay, if I make $120,000 a year, I can live basically any city in the world, at least have like a one bedroom apartment uh, and have like, that's enough. Like, obviously if I do better than that, like great, but like 120K and I like, I only looked at careers that was like had 120K a year in there, but you know, software engineering, like that's, you know, I, I'm past 120K a year. Um, I certainly probably spend more than that now, but I really try to like, I like really try to maintain a lifestyle that is a completely achievable on under twenty thousand dollars a year, uh, and I think I pull it off. We don't have kids, so certainly yeah. that will change. TBD, change TBD, hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, you know, at the end of the day, it's yeah, it's just like you know what what really matters, uh, and like what's the what's the life that I really want to live, and like do I need if I you know if I need. I can always, I'm I'm not, I'm down to start another billion dollar, you know, I'm like down to try, right? At the end of the day, I love the idea that these things are so good for the world, right? Like I love the idea that like some crazy real estate developer just to make, like just because he has a huge ego, puts a building in the sky. Because when that person dies, there's still a building in the sky that we can all live in. And like that person's dead. Like that person has nothing. I I think, I think this notion that uh, actually ego driven decisions can be, actually really net good for society in a lot of ways is a is a really interesting way to think about things not necessarily good for the person but really could be really good for society um yeah this has been a really interesting conversation i think kind of it it's like one of these things also where you you only come to like these conclusions like you've shared by going through all of these experiences and Mm -hmm. so i think a big part of this is for those listening like you know internalize a lot of what Sahil has said, but also just give yourself kind of compassion and like kind of the permission to realize you're not going to figure out all this stuff by listening to what he said, but by experiencing <laughs> life and getting punched yeah. in the face or feeling the range of emotions and kind of coming to these conclusions yourself as well. Yeah. And, you know, I always enjoyed working on Gumroad, right? So there was never a moment where I was like, oh, I regret. I regret working 60 hours a week for five years. Yeah. Like, no, it was awesome. I, I like got to work with such smart people. I got to raise money from like amazing people. Like I, I always thought it's weird. Like founders are like, oh, like raising money from VCs. Like I hate VCs. It's like if you're raising money, like you should respect them. Like they're smart. You know, like if you don't like find better ones, like there are good ones out there. You know, totally. 
Um, but it, it is really an honor. Like it's, it's, it's an honor that I don't have to wake up and, yeah. you know, I wasn't born 500 years ago and I was, I had to like, just do some like really menial tasks. Yeah. No, it, it really, it really is the biggest privilege in the world. It's amazing. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Excited to have you uh, on again soon. Always appreciate your wisdom and perspective. Yeah, super fun. Cool. Thanks for having me. Talk soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Founders Journal. As I mentioned at the top, I'm going to be your startup Sherpa moving forward. That means any business book, essay, podcast episode, tweet thread, blog post, newsletter, or YouTube video is fair game for me to read, summarize, and analyze on this podcast. If there is any startup content you know you want me to break down for you, shoot me an email to alex at morningbrew.com. As always, thank you so much for being a part of this community, and I'll catch you next episode.